Good morning. All right. Good to see all of you. I'm really just excited uh, just for the opportunity to preach God's Word to uh, just a family, just church family that I just dearly love. Um, right now, will you please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? We will be reading from Acts chapter 2 from verses 42 to 47. And if you are able, will you please stand and rise as we read the scriptures? Beginning at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray now that you may protect this time, that you would open our minds and open our hearts as we receive from your word. Lord, I pray now that I may decrease as you increase. And Lord, may we be not only hearers of your word, but also doers. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Before the pandemic, before the pandemic, did you know that there's been a rapid decline in church attendance in the United States? Before the pandemic, the average was between 75 to 150 churches, houses of worship, closes its doors per week. It is projected that those numbers will double or even triple in the wake of the pandemic. Because of this reality, some churches have become very creative in attracting new people to attend their church. You know, back in the old days when I was a kid, I remember that all a church would need to do is just place a banner on the church, right? And the banner would say revival meeting or vacation Bible school, right? And, and, and And then that day will come and churches would be packed, Well, those days are long gone, right? And so churches have gotten very, very creative in their ways of marketing. Some churches have created drive-in services like drive-in movie theaters. Other churches kind of have this concert feel with the strobe light, with the big speakers, with, with the fog machine and the disco ball, right? Other churches have created this chill hipster feel where you, you kind of feel like you're at a coffee shop and you just grab your cup of joe and to listen to a message, I heard about, I read about this one church in Ohio that transformed its sanctuary into a bull ring, right? No joke, a bull ring. So the senior pastor, he was a professional bull rider. And so he would get on this bull, ride for three seconds, get knocked off, then climb on his pulpit, and he begins to preach his sermon. Myself and Pastor Rocky and the rest of the team will not do that, right? But, but reality, sadly, 
with many different types of marketing to attract people to church, a lot of people are not attending church. A lot of churches are dying. I read of another pastor who took over a small church in Oklahoma, and it wasn't going very well. He tried and tried to get people to come. He visited members to get people active. He tried and tried with no avail. Nothing worked at all. So finally, at his last effort, right, he announced both to the congregation and to the local newspaper that the church is officially dead. So that afternoon, he says, he wrote, he says, we are going to have a funeral, a burial service for the church. Well, that Sunday afternoon came and the church was packed. In fact, morbidly curious, there was a large crowd who turned out for this funeral. And so the pastor, he, go, he gets up and sure enough, he's in front of the casket. There's flowers in front of the casket and he delivers a eulogy. He gives a church history and now he shares the church is over. It is dead. This is its burial service. And so after his eulogy, he opens up the casket. He invites all those in attendance to come forward and pay its last respect to the departed church. And he said, in doing so, as you pass by the casket, you will discover the reason of the death of the church. And so one by one, as people got up, they looked inside the casket. And as they looked in, they looked away with embarrassment. In the coffin, Tilted in a correct angle, there was a large mirror so that every person who passed by saw themselves, saw their own reflection in the mirror. It is said that a church will live or die by the people that come. If the church is alive, it is because the people are alive and active. If the church is dying, it is because the people who come are themselves in that state. At Evergreen, we are about preaching Jesus Christ. Our central theme is about discipleship. Our hope and desire is that the Lord will use us to minister the gospel to the SGV and to the world. But we need to do this with one another. We pursue a God who passionately pursues a lost world. And it's often been noted that the church is not a spectator sport. It requires a collaboration. It requires involvement. It is a a team activity. And so this morning, I want to talk about fellowship. It says that a Christian cannot thrive without fellowship. In fact, some would even say that you cannot survive as a believer without fellowship. It is that characteristic that transforms a churchgoer to a church member. It is a difference between someone that says, yeah, I go to church, to somebody who realizes I am the church. It is God's people on earth. And so in Acts chapter 2, we are going to look at the beginning of the first church. And then around verse 40, we see the New Testament demonstration of the Old Testament declaration when God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
So here we see the New Testament church is born on the day of Pentecost. And that is the demonstration of that truth, that God designed his people to live their lives together. We are to be relational with one another. So this is the first church. This is the original church. This is the prototype of God's people. And we would discover that this group that is pursuing God, who is pers- the God who is pursuing the lost world, we would discover that they are doing it with one another. So let's look again at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. I'm just going to read again from verse 40 to 47. It says this, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had thing, all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And he day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day that those who were being saved. So what I want to do today, again, is just to look at their fellowship, the first church, their fellowship, their witness. I did not pronounce that wrong. Their witness, W-I-T-H. I know it's not a real word, but their witness. They're, they're, we see the people, they're together. They're with one another. Their witness will enhance their witness. So as it is, our ability to be together, to live together, will enhance how we outreach to the world. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, that, that, that the world will know that you are my disciples. By how? By your love for one another, right? And so this morning, I want to ask four questions and answer four questions. And I'm doing so and get a description of what the church was like what the early church was like. So the first question, question number one, what does fellowship mean? What does fellowship mean? Well, we look at verse 42. It says this, that, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. What does fellowship mean? Well, I think Fellowship, the word, this word is probably one of the most overused, undervalued word in the Christian vocabulary. The word fellowship, we have managed to use this word to describe just any activity. I mean, literally any activity. Oftentimes, we would slap on the word fellowship after any activity we would like, right? We, we would have basketball fellowship, right? We would have cooking fellowship. We have gaming fellowship, right? We have fishing fellowship. We have golfing fellowship, right? We, we would have TikTok fellowship, right? Whatever, right? And, and, and we just add fellowship to any activity to make it seem like it's more holy or more spiritual, but which fellowship, we, we kind of take it as just kind of meaning just hanging out, just chilling, 
right? Just shooting the breeze. You know, when I was a kid, I remembered going to this place called the Fellowship Hall, right? At my old church. So we had the sanctuary, and after service, they would move these partition walls, and there was the dining hall, and it was called the Fellowship Hall. That was the place where they served old Chinese twin dragon almond cookies, right? And, and, and they had this bright red punch that they sold at probably from Smart and Final, and, and they had the hot tea for the adults. That's what fellowship meant to me. But what does it mean to fellowship? As Pastor Ron shared, the word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. What is that? Koinonia, right? Koinonia. And the word fellowship, koinonia, appears 20 times in the New Testament. So the word fellowship, koinonia, can be translated as communion, contribution, sharing, partnership. So if you put all these meanings together, you discover that fellowship is sharing the life of Jesus Christ together. It's not just a social gathering. It is a spiritual gathering. It has as its centerpiece more than just almond cookies and bright red punch or tea. It is more than, it is, it is a shared activity with this with spiritual matters. In fact, every single activity that we see in verse 42 described their fellowship. We see that there was the apostles' doctrine that described their fellowship. They, t- they were together. The people were together. They listened to the apostles preaching. There, there was teaching of the Hebrew scriptures that pointed to Jesus, reminding them that that Jesus is the fulfillment of these scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. The apostles were talking about Jesus. They were reminding the people of what Jesus was teaching about. This was a shared group endeavor. Also, what we see here is that they were breaking bread together. This was a part of their fellowship. That's where they got together to share a meal. They ate food together. And afterwards, they often they took the Lord's Supper together, known as the love feast and the agape feast. That was shared. Every first Sunday of this every first Sunday of the month at Evergreen Church, we partake in communion together. We have koinonia with Jesus with our Savior, when we eat the bread and drink in the cup to remember and to honor what Jesus did on Calvary for our sins. And every Sunday, in the first Sunday of the month, we have Fellowship Sunday so that we could share a meal together. Next week is Fellowship Sunday. Just a quick plug, just a reminder. And I encourage you to try to stay, maybe for a little bit, to stay and eat, meet someone new, or catch up with someone old. But use that time to spur each other on in the name of Christ. That's fellowship. This is what the church did. And then finally, prayer. That was something they did together. They prayed for one another. 
In verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Here's a summary description of the first Christians. Now, all who believed were together and they had all these things. This is koinonia. They had the word, they had fellowship, they had communion, they had all these things in common. They shared everything. So, fellowship is not just a, a spectator event that just happens on Sunday. It's a common shared life with others. When we fellowship, we gather with a goal. We gather with, so when you guys come on Sunday, we gather with a goal. What is that goal? It's to stimulate each other in our spiritual walk and our, our growth in Christ. That is the goal. It's all about Jesus. Now that has never been more clearly seen than in this little phrase that appears throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. About 60 times you will see this one phrase, one another. You would see it all throughout the New Testament. We would see love one another, edify one another, admonish one another, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted to one another, encourage one another, show hospitality to one another, forgive one another. I think you get the point. And about 60 times you see this little phrase, and the one another, you cannot really do one another in front of a computer screen. You have to have this human being to have this one another experience. That is a part of fellowship. So we discover very quickly in the New Testament church, they were intensely relational, intensely relational. They lived their lives together. So what does fellowship mean? It means sharing the life of Jesus Christ with one another. Second question, why is fellowship needed? Why is fellowship needed? Why was it needed? Well, it was needed 2,000 years ago by the early church. And why is it needed today? Well, we would pretty much discover the same reasons. Let's look, let's look a few verses up in verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Acts chapter 2, we see that so they were amazed and perplexed. They being the unbelievers, the unbelieving world, the onlookers. They see this during the day of Pentecost. And notice something's happening with this group of people called the Jesus followers, the Christ followers. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But it says that others were mocking, calling them drunkards or filled with wine. Now right there, I want you to see something. There's going to be a beginning of something that's eventually going to grow to be a full-fledged problem, and that is persecution. That's the beginning of persecution. A group of people looking that don't understand what they see with these group of people who call themselves Jesus followers, calling them drunk. But by chapter 4, we see that persecution becomes intense. By chapter 5, we see that there are thro- some Christians are thrown in jail. By chapter 8, it is so intense that the church scatters in different parts of the country. 
So the refuge for the believers was this one another experience. And the antidote to that pressure to the world that was putting upon them was to gather together in this new family that God was creating called the church. Now, nothing has changed. In fact, we need each other more than ever because you and I live in a world and a culture that is increasingly hostile towards believers. Isolating of believers and the Christian fellowship is the antidote. Listen, everything in our culture fights Christian fellowship. The world is becoming less friendly towards us. Our society is beginning to marginalize us more and more. So the pressure that, that was happening in Jerusalem is also present in our culture. I remember years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Southeast Asia for missions where Christianity is illegal. And I got to be a part of this underground church service. And I remember there was members that would walk, walk for hours to, to join this service. And so in this small room, I remember it was hot, it was humid, the doors were closed, the windows were closed, but we worshiped together. We studied the word together. We prayed together. We encouraged one another. And let me tell you, the fellowship was sweet. We were strengthened. We needed one another. Let me go a step further. I want to add that mobile, what, what mobile technology has done to our culture and as a Christian culture. This mobile device, this little mobile device, this mobile technology has become so personalized that in fact it has turned so many inwards towards ourselves rather than outwards towards one another. With the mobile device, every person becomes a creator in their own world. And they could create this secret world of preferences and temptation. It's a world that you choose. You choose everything. You choose your entertainment. You choose your music. You choose your friends. You choose your relationship. You become a little God in this little world through this screen. You create what you want and what you don't want. You become a creator in this private universe. Beloved, do you remember a time when a phone was used to talk to someone? <laughs> do you remember that? Maybe some of you that are my age and above, you still do that. But, but it's now today, this is, this is going to shock you, those that are older than me. It's really used to, this thing's really used for talking. It's, it's mostly to create their private world. A private world just filled with self-indulgence and temptation and entertainment. You know, I've been doing youth ministries for 25 plus years. And years ago, it was so easy to invite students to come out to youth group. Because, I mean, say, hey, you want to come out to youth group? You, you can meet other students from different schools. You could have fellowship. But guess what? 
Here's the trend. Students, not only here, other churches, other places around the United States, students would rather stay home on a Friday night. Stay home on a Wednesday night, whenever a youth group is. Why? Because they would rather be in front of a screen to be in their virtual world. This very virtual world is not true fellowship. And I'm not, I'm not saying this, beloved. I'm not saying, okay, guys, all right, let's get our phones and our, our, our iPads. Let's go to the bat baseball field and let's like put a bonfire and blow this up. Yeah! I'm not going to do that, okay? And I, I know many of you guys aren't. But, you know, but the thing is, I, I, I want you to realize that there are limitations and this thing, it's not always promising you what it has to offer. The virtual world is not real fellowship. Now think about it. If you don't like the experience you are having with the real world, what do most people do? They pick up their device and escape into their world. You've seen it at restaurants You've seen it at gatherings. Maybe you've seen it with, with, with your own family. I remember, you know, maybe last year before the pandemic where, you know, everyone went out to restaurants and stuff. I remember Katrina, my wife, and my kids, we went to this Chinese, one of our, well, my favorite, one of my favorite Chinese restaurants, Earthen. Uh, not a plug, but it's okay. We were just at this Chinese restaurant, all right? And they were sitting, it was ready. I'm getting excited to eat fried dumplings, you know. And then, you know, there's a family, we're a family of five, and then across from us was another family of five, right? It's like, oh, that's cool. I just love seeing families eat together, you know. But something was unique about this family. They did not talk to one another. It was just silent. Why? Because each family member had a device right in front of them. And I look at my, I looked at my wife, and my wife looked at me, and we're like, we're kind of judging them. We're like, how sad, right? <laughs> we're like, how sad. They're present, but they're not present with one another. And I recognize that I often escape to my phone also when I feel a bit uncomfortable or bored. What do I mean? You know, before the pandemic, I would go pick up my boys from, from school, and I'll get to campus, you know, maybe those of you could relate if you pick up children or something, right? I go, I go, to, I go on their campus, right? I see a role of, of people, role of, of parents, right? You see one group just like, you know, they're just laughing, talking to each other. That's usually the PTA crowd, right? And then, and then, and then you see another role just sitting on benches, on planters, on the curb, and they are on their devices, what do you think I do? I go, it's true story, I go, I look around to see if I know anybody, see if I could talk to somebody. And then, if I don't see anyone I know, do you think I kind of like, like go to this random person, hey, what are you watching? You know, hey, can I see? Hey, what game are you playing? You want to, can I do? No. At that moment, I feel awkward. It's like, I have no one to talk to. So, this youth pastor does the thing that I'm preaching not to do, right? I go on my device, and instead of 
kind of interacting with the real world. I feel a little bit awkward. I go on my device, pick up my phone, and watch my K-drama, right? And then say, oh, good. I hear the bell ring. My kids are here. Yes, right? And, and I skate from reality from this real world into this virtual reality of this little screen. And I want you to understand that Christianity is not that. Christianity is not a private, personal experience. Everything about the church fights privacy, Do you guys really realize this? Christianity is not a private, personal experience, but everything about the church fights privacy. It fights privacy. It fights isolation. It's withness. And it's withness will enhance our witness. So what does it mean? What does fellowship mean? It means sharing the life of Jesus together. Why is fellowship needed? Because the pressure of a godless society as well as pressure of technology that is turning us inward. We need each other. Third question. What does fellowship mean? I mean, third question, sorry. How is fellowship done? How is fellowship done? How is it done? We'll see. We'll look at the clue in verse 46. Let's look at verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food and glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, and they were being saved. Here we see something. In verse 46, how was fellowship done? It was, it was done in, in a twofold structure. There was a big meeting and a small meeting, a formal meeting, an informal meeting. Temple, house. Picture this, in the temple, in Jerusalem. There's this 35 acre of flat land made out of pavement called the Solomon's Porch. This could fit thousands of people. This is where they had their formal worship service. And so they went to the temple to do what? To hear the apostles preach. And there they would get instruction from the word. From there they would get inspiration. And then they would go to house to house, provided an informal meeting where they could discuss what the apostles shared. Discuss about the truth. Well, how does it mean in their lives? So we see the first structure, the big meeting structure, the message was taught where they got to hear, right? And then you see the second structure, a home structure. The message was where you have something to say, where, where, where there's an opportunity to ask questions and, and to, to, to dialogue and, 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 and to pray, right? So we see two completely different complementary ways of structuring it. A big group right, to study the scripture, big group to worship God, and then we see a small group where they apply scripture, where they learn how to walk with God. Big meeting, how, just a reminder of how big God is, and small meeting to remember, to be reminded how close God is near, right? But here we, and, but here we see in the beginning is this big group meeting was a spectator-oriented. I mean, you know, here you picture thousands of people listening to the apostle Peter and the other apostles sharing and teaching, 
right? This was a big meeting. It requires listening to a message like what you are doing now. But also there was a small group meeting where it was participation-oriented. It demanded discussions of principles within uh, four walls of a home. There's freedom to share, ask questions, to get real, and for everyone to pray. So whenever I hear people say something like, you know what, I don't need church. I don't like church. I don't like to go to church. You know, Jesus, I'm okay with him. You know, I really love Jesus, but I don't want to go to church. I have heard others that says, you know what? I love Jesus, but I hate people. And I'm like, what? Right? Seriously, that's how I act. Like, what? Right? It's like, what? But let me share this story. There was a group talking to which the preacher joined himself. And they happened to be talking about church. At And one of the men in the group turned to the pastor who came up and joined the group and said, Preacher, do you have to join a church in order to go to heaven? And just like that, the preacher replied, No. And the fellow patted him in the back because of his broad-mindedness and congratulated him for a good answer. Then the preacher turned to the man who congratulated him for him saying, No, you don't have to belong to a church to go to heaven. But then he said to him, but sir, may I ask you a question and will you answer me as quickly? Yeah, of course, pastor. Then he asked him, why would you want to go to heaven that way? Why, why, why? Why would a man want to go to heaven when, it doesn't, when he doesn't like to associate himself with the people of God in this world? For, what, for that's going to be heaven, to be with each other to be with our Lord, to sing songs of praise, to magnify God with our worshiping, adoring souls and love forever and ever. Why would you want to go to heaven and leave out your life of koinonia, the fellowship, the association with, the identification with the saints of the Lord? That's a drop the mic moment, right? Can you be a Christian without a church? Well, I suppose so. Can you be a baseball player without a team? Yeah, I mean, you know, you could put on your cap, you could put on your uniform, put on your cleats, right? Throw that ball up the air, hit it on the field. Like, woohoo, that was awesome. So fun. But it's not as much fun as being a part of a team, going against another team. That's fun. Can you be a tuba player without an orchestra? Yeah, I guess. I mean, probably no one's going to really listen to you except maybe your mom and dad, and there's only so much time you could play the, the theme song from VeggieTales, right? But, you know, but, but think about it, but it's the melody and the harmony of all the, the other instruments that makes it pleasurable listening experience. So how was fellowship done? Two different ways, mainly a big group, small group, both important. And I share this because I know many of you right now are in the big group. But here's a plug. If you are not involved in a small group or a branch or in a ministry, my encouragement as another brother of the Lord is to get involved. To get involved. Because there is where a lot of discipleship takes place. That's where a lot of genuine fellowship happens. Here's the final 
question and answer. When did fellowship happen? When did fellowship happen? Let me change that. When does fellowship happen? When does fellowship happen? Let me say this. It happens to the degree you want it to happen. It happens to the degree you want it to happen. If you don't want it to happen, it will never happen. Some people just don't want to let anyone close. So they constructed these invisible walls as defense mechanisms, and they just don't want to let anybody in. If that's it, you may really never experience any significant relationship. You may be satisfied with shallow fellowship. You may be satisfied with a superficial attachment to a group, but have no significant attachment to the group. Let me say this. If you want more, Jesus is ready. If you want more than a a casual relationship with Jesus Christ, he's ready to give you more. And so are we, the church. Now, in bringing this to the close, there are two facts that I want you to notice about the early church. Fact number one, this was a large church. Think about it. This was a large church. This was actually a mega church in in Acts, right? I mean, in verse 41, it says that, and those who received his word were baptized, and they were added about 3,000 souls. So just think about this. Before the resurrection, it started with 12, and then, then Jesus was on the cross, right? And then from there, it went to 120 people in the upper room. And here now, we hear one message from the Apostle Peter. 3,000 people responded. Isn't that cool? 3,000 people responded. This is a big altar call, right? And so there's about over about three, there's over 3,120 people. This is a mega church. This was the norm at the church. And as you read through the book's book throughout Acts, it just says that the Lord added, the Lord added, the Lord added. Or they were multiplied. They were multiplied. They were multiplied. So they get, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So what I want you to see is that this church was large. But the next thing I want you to notice, that it was a large church, but they had fellowship. They had fellowship, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So whether... The church is 20 people or 20,000 people, whatever. Everybody can get involved if they want. They could have intimacy of fellowship. It is so interesting that, you know, whenever if you attend a large church, you can easily slip in and out, avoiding all human interaction. Whoopee, right? If that's what you want. But what we see in the book of Acts This was a large church, but they had interaction with one another. They experienced koinonia. That's really up to you. The scripture says a man who has friends, the Bible says, must himself be friendly. It doesn't matter the size, but it matters the significance of the heart. You can have fellowship, community, communion, a shared experience with any group. 
when did this fellowship happen? When did this fellowship happen? If, if there was in, any indication in the text we see here in, in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here they met daily. The early church met daily in the temple, breaking bread house to house. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a guilt trip that you need to be here every day. Well, the church is not open every day anyways. But my point is, is my point is this, that I would say that, that to fellowship, to go to church, it should be more frequent than infrequent. It should be more regular than irregular. Because we see in Acts chapter 20, I'll just read this. Acts chapter 20 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. This was the norm. They were together at least once a week, as well as other times. But here in Acts 2, we see that they were doing it daily. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, as, 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 as Dylan read, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more. I think it's safe to say, it's not a stretch to say, that to fail to participate in the life of a local church is to disobey the direct command of the scriptures. And here we see in verse 42, a reminder, reminder that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Let those words not only seep into your mind, but may it really seep into your heart that you would leave, and we see that they, they left. They, 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 were devote, they devoted themselves. They were committed to this. They were in it to win it, right? And I believe that, that we need to really reject convenience fellowship. What is convenience fellowship? It, it is a fellowship that is convenient to me. I will go to church as long as the big game is not on TV. I will go to church as long as I'm not invited to this golf game. I will go to church as long as I'm not invited to the search and breakfast with my friends. That's convenience fellowship. If someone in your home asks you a question, hey, are we going to church this Sunday? Your answer should be, Uh, does the sun rise? Of course. Absolutely. We're going to church. We're absolutely, we're continually steadfastly devoted to the fellowship. You need it. I need it. We need it. One final illustration to help illustrate this. Uh, A hobby of mine is that um, I love to barbecue. When I get a chance, I love to grill with charcoal. And I must confess, when I smell burning charcoal, 
it smells glorious to me. <laughs> it's just like, wow, it's a great smell. My wife says, close the door. The smoke's getting in the house. But for me, burnt charcoal smells wonderful, right? But this is the illustration. Think of ourselves like a charcoal briquette. When you barbecue in the backyard and you light all those little charcoals on fire, if you remove a charcoal from a burning set of coals and isolate it, in a few minutes, that little thing will burn out. But it needs, why? It needs heat. It needs energy from other coals to stay ablaze. And the more the coals are together, the heat output, the energy output becomes greater and stronger. The witness enhances the witness. We need each other. God does not want us to live this life alone. He's given us a family. He's given us a family of believers so that we could live life together. God has given us a community to disciple one another, to pursue Christ wholeheartedly together. And brothers and sisters, that is koinonia. That is koinonia. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord God, I pray, Lord, that for all of us, Lord, again, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. Lord God, we thank you that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters and and you have brought us to this family. It's so good. It's so sweet. And yet, in many ways, Lord, um, families, Lord, it it can be very dysfunctional sometimes. Yet, Lord, we look to you, Papa, Lord God, to to fix all things. And and Lord... uh, I I pray for this family, Lord, this church family, Lord God, that that you would increase our fellowship with one another, that you would increase our love for for you and love for each other, that that there would be a greater unity within this church family. And Lord, I, I think as I was just reflecting, Lord, I'm just so humbled just to be here, Lord. I just know that you have used my church family here just in mighty ways just to grow my personal life. And I I just want to say thank you. And Lord God, I pray now, Lord, um, as as we leave, prepare to, as before we leave this place, Lord God, we just ask, Lord, that that you would ignite our faith and service to you. And as we leave this place, Lord, that that we would just love you more. Lord, I just pray now that that as we um, just close up the service, Lord, that, that you would be magnified. That the fragrance, that, that we would bring a fragrance, Lord, as we worship you with our hearts through song. We love you, Jesus. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.